right, guys, welcome back to the Adam Peter Fitness Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have a very, very strong 19-year-old named Aiden Reuter. Um, Aiden, for those of you guys who don't know Aiden, you guys have better catch up and go. And you guess what? You guys are here, so you're going to learn today. So Aiden, Aiden, just tell, tell us your, your, your best lifts in, com- in competition, your, your records. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll have a non-humble brag to start. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll, we'll start with a humble brag. Uh, so um, my best competition uh, number is, this was in October of 2020, uh, a 595-pound or 270-kilogram squat, um, a 152-kilogram or 336-pound bench, and a 318-kilogram or 701-pound deadlift uh, at 83-kilogram, 183-pound, uh, and um, I'm 19 years old, so those are all the uh, teen three, 18 and 19 national records for the U.S. and also unofficial world records um, on open powerlifting, basically. So yeah, yeah. So that's uh, he's he's clearly extremely extremely strong. Um, and I've always um, I I um heard of you through Sean Riega because he was just sharing you all on his, his story. And I saw this beautiful sumo deadlift and I was just like, wow. Like, because anybody who watches my sumo deadlift knows that it doesn't look like a, it does not look like a sumo deadlift. It looks like a weird, like sumo conventional type of a pole. And then I saw you and I'm like, holy crap. Like, this is like really, really, really pretty. So I guess, um, did deadlift kind of come really, really naturally to your, to, for you with, with that technique or is that something that you really had to evolve over time? So, so naturally from the get-go, I'd say it was my best lift. Uh, I'm just kind of uh, a little bit like my body's predisposed, just built for it. Uh, but it, it wasn't always like pretty like it is. Um, I would, In terms of general like form being like, it, it was always good. Like always had a neutral back and everything. Uh, there was no, it wasn't, it was never, it did, never looked bad, I would say, but it, it, it was nowhere near as efficient as it was, as it is now, I should, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and what did you do to kind of get to that point then from, you know, obviously getting to, um, you know, starting out, you obviously having the, the basics down, but I, you know, as anybody who has done, a sumo deadlift knows it's an extremely uh, technical lift compared mm-hmm. to every other power lift. So uh, what were the main things that you had to do to, I guess, make this so repeatable? Because I think that's the big thing with, with, with technique. It doesn't matter if like only one rep is really good. Like you want to have all your reps be good and be consistent. Yeah. So for the longest time, I would kind of just like throw myself into the bar and that that worked up until like around like five five sixty uh when I got to five sixty pounds. Um so that was around two two years, maybe two and a half years ago at this point. Um for my first competition I hit five sixty two and then six months later I only hit five sixty eight. So there there was a long period of time where I pretty much uh, felt like I was stalling on deadlift. Um, and it's because I was, I just continued to not really have the greatest technique. I, I, I made no attempt to get better in terms of technique. I thought I would just get stronger, uh, because I was just a kid at that point. I didn't know any better. Um, 
And so I had to do something. Uh, so basically the first step was learning how to pull slack and not just throwing myself into the bar. Um, and within a month after I hit five, that 568 in comp, um, it was a hard 568. It wasn't like I smoked it or anything. Um, yeah, about a month later I hit 600. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, it wasn't programmed that day. I just YOLO'd 600 cause I felt good. And I was and that was after learning slack, uh, how to pull slack. And, um, so my, my old coach, uh, definitely, uh, helped a ton, but, um, I think one of the biggest things was just looking, uh, doing as much research as possible, going, looking through as many sources as possible to try and, uh, from like elite lifters, um, studying, studying lifters who, had similar leverages to me, I think was one of the biggest thing and just watching footage of them and picking up cues of what they did. One of the biggest things was like watching, like, do you know who Matthew Aramoni is? Yes. Yeah. I, I've picked out so many things from just watching him. I think, I think like, yeah, guys like that. Uh, Sean has, uh, has great technique. Uh, someone, um, Kevin Tran was someone I watched a lot. Just, uh, guys with le- leverages similar to me, I just watched hours, honestly, hours of footage of them and then just adapted it to my technique. Um, um, that amongst just picking up cues um, along the way, bracing properly, um, and then just biofeedback that I get from lifting myself and making small adjustments um, based on looking at my training and ha- feedback from how a set feels you know experimenting basically i like all those points i think that you made a really really good one early where you said studying the lifters who have similar leverages to you and probably similar muscular strengths on that's one of the reasons why i like charlie dixon so much because we have similar leverages and he pulls very similarly to me and so i just kind of learned a lot from looking over him you know whereas you you know you, you start off a lot more uh you know, uh, upright than, than I can. Charlie also starts more bent over. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that like, obviously there's, there's always going to be different technical cues that apply to everybody. And there's different principles that we always have to abide by in terms of, you know, can you generate enough torque about the, about the, the hip to keep your hip abducted and then actually like press outs and keep those joints stacked. Like that's a skill in and in, in, in of itself. Um, and not many people actually are stronger in that position because of how they're, they're built, but just being really, really consistent with it, constantly filming yourself and, and going off of how did that feel? Why did that feel like that? Because that rep felt really, really good. I would like for all my reps to, to feel like that. Yeah. Um, that's something that I, you know, admittedly, like I, I, um, I, I don't have the, the, the most amazing deadlift tech technique. I think that I could get away with a lot just because I'm just naturally good at the deadlift and I have a strong back and hamstrings, but um, it's definitely, I thought it's, it's really, really interesting hearing that you had that strength that you're like, you're a stronger puller than 568, but then you just feel like you just did some technical alterations, became a little bit, bit more aware of your technical cues and how your body was, was feeling actually became aware of some things you probably weren't aware of in the past. And then all of a sudden, bam, 600 pounds. Yeah. 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 It was, it was seriously like, I, I, I didn't, um, I mean, you can't get 
that much stronger in a month. Uh, and obviously it had been uh, six months already and I hadn't gotten tr- uh, that much stronger. Um, I think uh, if, if, if someone's going to do this, if someone's going to research, uh, like study a lifter with similar leverages, I identify like one or two things at a time. Don't try and completely copy them. Just identify one thing that you want to try and uh, you know, try it in the gym. If it works great. You've adapted that. If it doesn't work, then throw it out, try another thing. Mm-hmm. Or if you get input from your coach, try one, two things at a time. I, I, and then master that before you move on to the next one. Um, you don't want to try too many things at once or else you just start to overthink everything. Nothing meshes well. Um, and oftentimes when you make a technical change, it will be a, a domino effect um, and might just fix other things. Yep. Yeah. Th- th- that's what I always tell my, my clients and they're like, and I, I, I just took them like one cue and they're like, okay, what else? I'm like, I just want you to focus on this. We'll see what happens. Because like what you said, that domino effect can happen. Like if you just teach a lifter who is very, very janky with their, you know, like or Yankee, with their, with their, their pulling, Hey, I want you to think about tension, put like actually putting tension in you to your legs and not just your, your upper body. Um, yeah. that can fix a lot of things, especially with like back angle and bracing and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, th- that just reminded me, um, an- another big thing was actually just like ask, like messaging top lifters and asking them, uh, um, someone who put out a bunch of content and I just DM'd him, um, to explain some things was Chance Mitchell, um, who has very similar leverages to me, long arms, long legs. And he just, um, I'm going to make a, a few posts, uh, about, uh, one of the biggest things that I, I do. I'm going to make a post in the future about, uh, the long arm cue and how to pull slack properly, because most people don't know how to pull slack properly. They do it in a way that is, um, not the best, you know, it, it, but anyways, other than that, uh, yeah, just like, just, just message people, take the chance. Like, you know, um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a big chance that they maybe won't answer, but in my case, I got lucky and he did. So yeah, and at yeah. that point I was just like, I wasn't anyone special. So I think that's something that's actually really cool about um, powerlifting and really bodybuilding too, uh, for the, for that matter. Uh, a lot of these athletes are really accessible uh, and they usually yeah. want to help, um, especially if they are coaches them, the, themselves. So mm-hmm. um, I guess uh, yeah. so nothing wrong with starting off with it with a little bit of a, of a deadlift rant. I, I always like talking about deadlift. Um, I guess now could, uh, I guess let's talk a little bit about how you got into lifting. Um, okay. Because I always think it's interesting to know where people, where people are, are coming from. So you and I already kind of had a conversation about this on Instagram, like right yeah. my, my meet in, in March, but you want to just walk us through? That yeah, story? go through the, the origin story. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I started lifting just coming into high school. I was super skinny and was I was honestly uh, never really that good at uh, like field sports all my life. Um but I was like athletic. I just, I could run fast. I could jump far and whatnot. Like when I was a kid, I guess. Um, but I, I was never a good or really like a big fan of it. I was more, I don't know. I, I was kind of a nerd. <laughs> um, but I was way too skinny and I started really liking track actually. Um, so we started lifting for track. Um, and at that point I started becoming more like conscious of my body and stuff. And I, I was super skinny. I was 110 pounds coming, 
freshman year, like five, six, very small guy. I knew, so I needed to, uh, to get a little bit bigger. And, um, also my track coach encouraged me to lift. He was like, Hey, put on some size so you can generate more power out on the track. Uh, but anyways, started lifting, um, after like a year or so I gotten up to like 140. Uh, so I was at least normal sized. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll fast forward a bit. Uh, I joined, I ended up joining football because I, I moved like across the state and try to, I had no friends. So I joined football to try and make friends and get more in shape and whatever. I don't know, just for fun. Um, that's where we seriously started like lifting and, uh, my friends, um, that I had from football introduced me to like more into the, into bodybuilding and powerlifting and weightlifting and all that. Um, I, I went over, um, it was the end of junior season of football. I went over to my friend's house. Um, he's a gym in his basement and we just like decided to max on deadlift that day. I had, I had never done a, I had done a deadlift once before, uh, in my entire life. Cause all we did in football was squat, clean and bench. So we didn't do deadlifts. We did trap bar, but that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. Um, it does, but, um, so yeah, the first time I deadlifted, uh, I hit three forty. So yeah, that was pretty decent. Um, prior to that, I had deadlift. I told you I had deadlift once before, and that was I did like two twenty five for a triple back when I was like super skinny. I literally had to skip school for like two or three days because my back was in so much pain after doing that. Yeah, it was like an absolute RP, like one of the hardest hardest sets I've ever done in my life. I that was like five years ago at that point, and I still remember it. So. Um, yeah. So, um, after that I was like, okay, you know what? Um, I'm going to start taking this seriously. And I'm the type of some person who, when I do something, I'm going to try and get as good as I can as I invest everything into it and nerd out all over it. Um, I was super into video games at this point. So I kind of saw it as like leveling up myself, I guess. Uh, I don't know if you can relate to that. No, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, my favorite analogy about lifting is that it's literally like playing your own, your own RPG. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's what it feels like at times. Um, especially because I was just a huge nerd. Um, <laughs> I do, I play Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. So I, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. I was super into like destiny. If you know that game. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 That was, that was, that was, I was all about that all over that. Um, yeah. So I started making progress really fast and I started really, really loving it. And I, I felt like I was uh, putting on size fast and I hadn't, uh, I'd felt the most confident I had in my life. Um, it was affecting me socially. Like I just felt more able to say what I wanted to, cause I'd been pretty socially awkward all my life before that. Um, and I just started like really falling in love with it. And then uh, I uh, went online uh, at that point. I, I want to know more. So I went online and kind of like saw videos of people powerlifting. And I think like one of the first videos I saw was uh, um, like Mason Cabney. You know, you remember that guy? Mm-hmm. Um, like squatting like 600 at 163. Or yeah. And I was like, wow, I didn't know people could get that strong. <laughs> And that's when I like really like 
I looked up all, like found all the names, found all the strong people. And I was just like super impressed by them. Like, wow, I want to be like that. I want to do that. So that's basically when I started, uh, I probably hopped on the Candidos, you know, did some five, three, one and whatnot, did the basic powerlifting program. Um, after that, uh, I, um, track was my main sport at that point track. Uh, I was trying to lift and do track at the same time because track came after football, um, that ended up destroying my knees. Like I had a hobble, like I had to hold the walls to get into to each class because it just destroyed my knees so much. So I ended up quitting track, um, and going, uh, powerlifting like full time for the rest of that season. Um, so yeah, I decided to sign up for my first meet, um, the, uh, like the fall after that. So that, that must've been fall of 2018, I believe. So that was my senior year of high school. Uh, did my first meet that was, I, at 74, I did 424, 231 and then 562. So that's the, that was a meet that I was talking about where I hit 562, um, ended up, uh, like really loving it. And that was the 16 to 17 year old American record deadlift at the time. Um, so uh, I was like super invested, um, decided to sign up for high school nationals, um, and ended up winning that, um, it, with a super close battle with two other guys, actually. Um, it wasn't like a, runaway thing high school that was an awesome meet but that's that's where my um uh at the time um people were kind of like uh questioning like what I, what I was kind of doing like oh what what is this powerlifting why'd you quit track and football over it but that's when uh when I, when I won that it kind of like solidified that what I was doing was legit and that um especially like my family and friends and close friends were like, okay, damn, you're actually in this for real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of, uh, that's also where, uh, that, that before that first meet is where I hired my coach that I had for two, almost like two and a half years. So, um, uh, that was Kyle Bauer was his name. Yeah. Now I'm with Sean Norriga. So, yeah, that's my whole story, yeah. uh, coming into powerlifting, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, I think it's, um, I always like how it always comes from sort of for most people from like an athletic background of some sort. I was doing something and then I realized I actually really like lifting part more than the actual practicing the sport part, the actual skill component of the, the sport. I just love the weight room um, because for Russell or that was like what it was like. He was like, bro, like, I don't want to keep getting hit hard. Like, and I don't want to, you know, keep dealing with it with all, with all this stuff. I like lifting more than I like, you know, playing football and so I'm going to go and uh, start lifting, you know, for full. And then I also, I always find it interesting, interesting how people always say I started getting some clap back because it was like, because powerlifting, especially like, I think it's only gotten like really like, I guess, socially acceptable in, in, in a sense right now. Like you still can't make money from being a professional powerlifter. Um, you have to do other avenues to actually monetize yourself in the sport. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's just been, it's something that's just like not seen as like a real sport. It's like a hobby. It's just like, you know, you, I come to, to the gym 
and I lift weights and like, I can see some of their like points, I guess, with it is it's in terms of sports, in terms of how much time it really does take. And uh, the, I guess like the actual physical toll on your body for most part. I mean, if you're talking about football versus powerlifting, powerlifting is like way easier than playing football and having to handle all that stuff. Yeah. I think the, the appeal of powerlifting is, I mean, you don't have to, it's like two, you know, two to three hours of your day. And, but you, there it's, it's available to anyone really. Um, as long as you don't have too much of a time commitment of of other things, but it's, it's available to, you know, the average guy. Yeah. I think, but like, I I think that even with a time commitment thing though, like you have these, these elite athletes like Hunter Henderson who just squads 60 to be at the current who trains four days a week and, and is a nurse. Like that's your full-time job. Like that's a yeah. job to do that. And I know that's what you're in school for right now. Yeah. So it's, um, it's definitely more, a more accessible thing. And it's, it can be something that's less invasive with your life and you can still be very, very, very elite at it. So yeah. Whereas like other sports that they're going to have to, like, <laughs> you know, that's their entire day. Yeah. It's their entire day, but they're also getting paid. Yeah, that's true. So there's like these, it, 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 it's a little bit, bit weird. Um, Greg Knuckles, actually, Stronger by Science podcast, was uh, saying that he wondered what if you could actually make money from this sport and you could treat it like every other sport and actually train for like four hours a day or something like that. And like, you know, kind of like oxygen gym in Kuwait style for, for bodybuilding. Um, like, what if that was like all that you did and that like you got paid like from just power? I mean, like, what would happen with the sport? And I think that's like an like an interesting like an interesting proposition. However, I think that's I don't think that it, there's necess- there's a like a necessity to do that to actually get really good at powerlifting. I, I just don't think so. Yeah, I don't I don't believe um, it. It might not actually help that much. Uh, it would be interesting, but I mean, um, some someone I can think of, I guess, is I mean. Um, Russell has like a whole bunch of business stuff, but he, I guess he probably, I mean, he does do this for a living. Russell does. Mm-hmm. That's the only person I can really think of. That's super competitive, I guess, but, or anyone I'm that just coaches. Too. Yeah. 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 Sure. Like, I guess what I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, you aren't like having a salary for like the US APL. Oh yeah. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Um, actually, on, I don't know if you listened to the last two highlights of the podcast, but the president of the the, the uh, US APL actually came on. He said that like that's actually his dream is for people to actually be able to make money directly from the sport. Yeah, that'd be awesome. What an idea that I've heard uh, been throwing around is uh, that's been thrown around. I, I think uh, it was uh, Joe. I've I've even thought of this myself before too, um, but uh, Joe put it into words. Joe Stanek. Uh, he put it on a story the other day that one of his ideas is like maybe the USAPL, if they leave the IPF, turns into something like the NBA, NFL, whatever, where they accept members from all around the world. And then um, the the USAPL will pay a stipend to the top 10 lifters if they can retain in the top 10, top 10. I like that idea. It, it makes it makes things a lot more interesting. You certainly attract even better competition. And that'll be top 10 worldwide, not, not only in yeah. the US. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so basically having the expanding the usapl's reach not just the usa yeah because it's the most competitive federation in the world <laughs> yeah so, um yeah 
Um, I guess go, going forward then. So with, with in terms of uh, coaches, um, so you start off with um, the Kevin Cool guy, correct? So you said Kyle Power. Kyle Power. Sorry, Kyle Power. I got the right. I got the right first consonant. Um, yeah. and now Sean Nor- Noriega. Um, yeah. So I guess how much has had has a coach helped you with your success as a power as a power lifter? Like, um, and like what I mean by that is. Do you think you'd be in the same spot that you are today without the guidance of those two people? No, not at all. I don't think I would have. Uh, I, I, the help that someone who's far more experienced than you just helps immensely. It'll bring out the, they, if you have a good coach, it will bring out the best in you. I was already slowing down before I got uh, a coach, which I mean, I was far weaker and far less, you know, muscular, like I just had less muscular maturity and everything. Uh, and I was already slowing down. And then once I hired a coach, it was like, it was, it was, it's a game changer for sure. Without a doubt. So how, how did having a coach elevate you? Well, when I had hired a coach, I just, I didn't, I didn't know anything. I was kind of lost. Um, again, my, my technique was, um, it wasn't bad, but it was, as far as efficient goes, just not at all for it to optimize strength. Um, so that helped me a ton there. Um, yeah, I, I just, I just think the hiring coaches just made me into the person I am today. Awesome. Um, um yeah, I think that that's um, something that where you do, where you talk about where, yeah, I mean, I was like, I was stalled out like right before I, I hired a coach. And I, I think that's actually a really, really big thing for, for lifters because like, and I, I, I some, a part of me doesn't like talking about it, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to talk about it. Um, people always asked me and for, for, for example, and I'm not as strong as you are, um, but like, how did you get strong? How did you make consistent progress? Because there has not been one time throughout my lifting career. I haven't I made some sort of progress. I've always made some sort of progress um and i always say well i had help from day one um i don't think that it's 100 percent necessary to have a coach at the beginning i think that if you just find like a template program like you did like the candido um six, six week or something decent like that you're going to thrive off of that and you're going to milk out those new gains once you get past that point and you know for some people like their novice progression is only three months for some people it's like one month that's when you should probably consider getting good programming, probably getting coaching and getting somebody there to just help you with the uh, mentality of training and understanding what's happening. Like, for example, like with RPE for the longest time, like I had no idea, like why you would train with, with, with RPE. Like I, I had no idea. I couldn't conceptualize it. And then I kind of started understanding the, the concept and how adaptations occur with the stress thing. And like, um, you know, how, how fatigue impacts fitness, how RPE kind of, you know, allows you to work with those different levels of readiness. Um, and, you know, good coaches help you understand those things and kind of gain an, an, an edge. And I think the biggest one for, for me is just confidence with my programming, because I can program for myself and you can program for yourself because you, you, you coach for other people too. Um, but it's really hard to be objective with yourself. And a coach there can just say like, 
know like this is okay like let's keep following the plan like it's like we're in volume i know you i know you're in shire i know like your one rep max might not might not be like at that much higher but don't, don't worry like it'll it'll come when it's time or whatever like i don't know like what do you think about that yeah so, so what i what i think is um definitely like i i, I wouldn't wouldn't want to coach myself you know um i i could i could but uh I, i'd prefer it someone else take care of that um it's almost like hard to look back and think about when I, I was, I was younger because uh, it almost hurts to think of how little I knew. Um, and that's, you don't know how little, you know, until someone more experienced comes across. Uh, I mean, comes, comes around um, like, like you, I had no I, concept of RP I was just clueless when I, when I came to, uh, my coach. So, um, could I, do I feel like with the knowledge I hold now, I could have coached myself to where I am now. Yeah, I think I could. Um, but even then I, I I'd prefer someone else. Yeah. It's something that I don't think that, that you, that you really do or do want to understand its value until you actually do put in that investment. And if it's any, like with you do your homework, and you uh, look into a good coach, like there's, there are several resources on YouTube with, you know, what to look for in a coach um, and, and, and whatnot. But I guess um, I know that for me, like when I was choosing a coach, like I always looked more like, like what's their credentials? Like what have they done for our for other lifters um, and do all of their lifters make progress? Like not just one of their lifters, like not just their, their star athletes. And I think that's a really, really big thing. And then just like second, just like, having the personality gel because you're the coaching is mostly a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure that's you know, one of the reasons why you, you hire Sean because Sean has a very clear track record of success with his athletes and of all different types. Yeah. When I decided to uh, switch coaches, I, I definitely, um, definitely did my research on all of my considerations, like <laughs> lots of research. Um, I asked around to all of your clients, uh, different types of strength levels. I, yeah, I, I literally just DM. I went through their like, to, like whoever tagged them, just to see who their lifters were. I messaged them, <laughs> asking them what they think of their coach and everything. All different types of strength sizes. I obviously like uh, I did a little investigation on each of them because I, I wanted to make sure the person I'm going to go with is going to be the best for me and uh I, I just came down to it i felt sean felt like the most consistent yeah well it's it's, it's been really really cool seeing your your progression with with, with the, the programming um and, and whatnot i guess i wanted to address them what does your training look, look like right right now in terms of um like how many days pre you squat bench and deadlift training days um that type of stuff all right so yeah so something uh great about sean that he's really done for me is to work. Um, he made, he wrapped my program around my, my school schedule basically, which is awesome. Um, because I, I specifically do homework on some days of the week. Um, you know, I'll do like, <laughs> like on when it comes to powerlifting, like so, some days I'm in the gym for so long that like, I don't have time to do homework. Uh, so I'll have certain days of the week where I just do like five, six hours of homework and I do all my homework for the week in one day, just because that's how I make this work. You know, that's how I fit lifting into my, my, uh, like college schedule. Um, so right now I'm, uh, squ I squat twice a week, deadlift twice a week, and then bench four times a week. 
uh, uh, lifting five days a week. So, yeah. But, um, like I said, the, the, one of the biggest things, because it's, it's taken, I'm Sean has me doing a lot, a lot of volume, uh, quite a, a lot of volume. And, um, I'm doing more than I was before on all three lifts, but because he's wrapped, he's made it, um, made the program around my schedule. It almost feels like I'm doing less. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's a really, really good, uh, point with, um, you know, if you, if you do have a busy schedule, having everything work around with, with your programming and whatnot, that's, um, I, I, I think a huge red, red flag for, for any coach that they don't ask about your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, sure. How, how busy are you? What days do you have more time? Um, like for example, if I have athletes who I know work, um, desk jobs, nine, nine to fives, and they tell me, yeah, I have more time on the weekends to lift. I'm probably going to give them more of their volume on what on certain lifts on the weekend or on days that they actually have more time to, to train. Because I mean, if you're stressed out about like getting through your, through your, your, your session, you're not going to enjoy it as much and you're not going to no. have much in return from it. Your performance is going to hurt. Yeah. So it's, it's decreased stress in and out of the gym and which has just been a, a feedback to better quality of life both ways. Yeah. So I guess, uh, with, with the with four days a week benching then, um, how does, how does that work for you? Because I, um, I think a lot of people hear about four days a week, week benching and they're always kind of curious about, how it works. So I guess for the, for the, the listeners, um, how does Sean structure your, your bench press schedule? All right. Um, so I, I guess to start off, I don't bench more than, uh, I, I have no bench more than two days in a row. I, I bench two days in a row in the beginning of the week. And then the other two days are separate. Um, and it's not like I've always benched four times a week, uh, mm-hmm. now from the get go. I started at two times when I hired Kyle, worked up to three times, eventually to four, and I've done four for the pretty much like the past year and a half, maybe longer at this point now. Uh, I do that year round. I don't ever go to three uh, just because, just for me personally. Uh, this is a personal thing. Um, I have quite, uh, I think this might just be from being in athletics and being in track, having efficient technique too. I, I have a pretty uh, big, like, I can handle a lot of volume. I have a pretty big work, uh, workload, you know, um, or work capacity, I guess. Uh, um, and I have a lot of, I have pretty good tissue resilient resilience. Um, my body can handle a beat down, um, from volume basically. Um, and so I guess that the, the volume is just between the four days is distributed uh, well enough, uh, that I'm not doing too much on one day. And it, it's like, uh, and, uh, the intensity, you know, it's not RP, you know, eight to 10 every day. Uh, I, it's usually in the six to seven range and it's, it, it's like, um, it's like a chain, you know, I'm not doing too much on one day. Uh, each session is like chained together almost, you know, where I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not doing too much one day and the chain falls apart because of that. Sorry, each so session can off, link together. Yeah. So going, going, going off of that, I, I think you just do with the whole chaining thing. Um, I, I think that that's a really, really good, good point. How I did this describe that is moment is momentum building because mm-hmm. anybody can blow their load at an, R, an RPE to 10. Like anybody can, can do that. But the problem is that like, that's just not going to lead to long-term progress and really any lift. Cause it's about like 
accumulating, like what you said, lots of volume, if you can handle it, you guys, and you and I just talked about this, like volume is king. And like, you know, like Eric is having me do insane amounts of volume right now. And it's like tough, but it's just like, I can, I can handle it though, because I have a high work capacity and I, do, I as, as well have a very high tissue resiliency. But I think that when you are, I mean, you are talking to any lifter, my biggest piece of advice with any power lifter is to don't worry about PRing right now because nobody cares if you're PRing right now. It, all that matters is are you PRing on the platform? And unless you've competed and actually stepped on the platform, like just gym lifts, just like they're like, like, like it's cool setting uh, like, like, like new PRs in the gym, but I'm always just like, okay, you know, like uh, who cares? Like I just, I want to get on the, on the platform to prove that like, yeah, like I can actually do this in a meet setting because it's, it's different. Yeah. I, I, I never go off program like ever. Um, if like, if anyone's listening out there and if there's any RP doubters here, this is why RP can be very valuable because you do lower, lower RP work that still is providing stimulus. Well, you can do a whole lot more volume if you're not killing yourself. And, um, it, it's almost like dropping, you know, dropping pennies in a bucket and those, those pennies are going to add up over time. Um, rather than like spilling the bucket and having to start over. I guess from overshooting, that's, that's the comparison I can think of right now. Yeah. So how I currently structure my, my programming, how, how Eric has it is um, it, I have basically, I squat two days per week and one of them is a lower exertion uh, safety city bar squat. And then the other one is like a, uh, like a top set on, mm-hmm. on comp squat. And then I do down sets with pause squats. And something that I really, really like about that is that like, I think it's something too with like self-limiting variations is that you just don't, you don't have an ego attached to your pause deadlift or your pause squat. And so like, if you're doing a top set, like at like eight to nine, which is usually around where Eric has me, um, and then down sets for the volume accumulation, then you actually like, <laughs> then that's like where like the real work is, is, is done. Because I think people always could get confused like, and data-driven strength is, has made a great graphic graphic about this. That training is not a test. It is mm-hmm. not a test. Training, you're there to train. You're there to get better. And you need to focus on, like what you said, the lower RPE, like five to seven with powerlifting is stimulative enough for you to accumulate tons of volume, be able to, to come back, as opposed to if you're just doing two sets at RPE 10, because that's all that you can recover from the magnitude of that stimulus to put adaptations is not very high. No. Now maybe that might work in the short term. Like you're like, maybe you're coming off a volume block. You're tapering down for, for uh, a meet. You do like two max out, like maximal effort sets. And then you come back to the next session and you're just peaked. Because the volume dropped, but you know, that's just you masking the, um, that's just you dropping that, that the fatigue to actually build up like what actually happened. And I think a lot of powerlifters don't like doing the volume because it's not as exciting as a, as a one max. Because power lifters are a little bit weird where they're like, they see, like normal, normal people see the bar bending and they're just like, I'm really scared. But power lifters are like, this is, this is, yes, yes. Like I want to, to, to lift that, that, that weight. Um, yeah. I, I, well, a uh, big pet peeve is people complaining about their back down volume work. Like, do you want to get stronger? Well, then stop complaining and, do these to the, the best of your ability, you know? Yeah, like I had to do like seven back down sets of bench after my top set 
that's my, my, for like my, my top d- d- double. And like, that's why I always say like, do the boring work, do your job. Like the background work is not, it's not exciting. It's, it's not that hard. Like I generally believe if you're, if you're training properly, your background work should not be that hard. It should, it yeah. should be hard enough, but not it should that be difficult. Hard. But yeah. So, yeah. Um, I guess going off of, um, so with, in terms of meets and, and, and whatnot, because meet day is a massive skill. Um, yeah. what do you do to handle yourself at meets or what do you, what is your mindset going into a meet? Because you've had these high level performances. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, I think my, my most two successful meets, probably my high school nationals performance and my, uh, Midwest primetime performance, um, which is my most recent meet where I did the uh, 1632 total 701 deadlift, what I, my best numbers. Um, and, um, honestly, the, I think the, the, the biggest performance was just the Midwest primetime one, because that was a accumulation of all the, all the meat experience that I had, had gotten so far. Um, something that, <laughs> uh, at high school nationals, um, I, I had a, have a pretty big cut, but I, I recomp something that I learned from the meat before that was that I didn't eat enough. So come high school nationals, I ate more and recomp better. Um, so that was the biggest thing I learned from that meet. Um, that's why it has, uh, was successful that meet. Um, um, come the next meet after that was regular nets, like just, uh, raw nationals. And I was way too nervous, way too in my head. And it just like, uh, <laughs> it killed my strength. I died out early just because I was so anxious and uh, all this anxiety that I had, I couldn't eat anything. And that's why I died out. I couldn't eat anything because I was so nervous and like, like my body just was rejecting food and water. So what I did at Midwest prime time was I listened to calm music, <laughs> which is the exact opposite thing that people do at meets. They listen to hype music. I have to listen to calm music to calm me down. And guess what happened? I was able to eat. I was able to feel great. And it literally just felt like I had the same strength that I had in the gym, which usually never happens for me. It had never really happened for me in a meet before. Um, but that, that was the first time where I felt like my all three of my lifts transferred perfectly. And that's just because I was able to actually get in food. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, with with the two hour with two hour weigh-in, I, I think it is it is um something that's a lot more important because in the short term, like you know, you got to worry more about that, that uh, hydration, the sodium getting in, and then enough carbs for your you know glycogen to resynthesize in, in the muscle if you've you know dropped that that weight because like there's a stronger by by science had a review and it, well it masked it about like yeah, saying that like, even just a modest glycogen depletion actually does impact lifting performance like pretty substantially oh yeah it definitely does for me yeah i'm the the exact same way if i feel good like i feel like i wake up with like a pump i know it's going to be a good lifting day if if it's flat i know it's like okay like i gotta drink a lot of water i gotta pound some sodium i gotta make sure i'm getting like at least my one gram per kilogram of carbohydrate pre you know pre pre pre-workout to make sure i have that fuel or eat you know a few meals before i go i go train um but I then like you, you said that you had to listen to relaxed music. Yeah. It's because oh, I get, I get, I'm the same nerves. So I, um, people ask me like, what do you listen to when, when you train? I listen to like Taylor Swift. 
for no other reason than it makes me feel relaxed. I, I feel relaxed. I can focus on my technique. I'm not using that, that psychological energy. Like you said, like you're just so anxious. You died out early. That happens if like, like if I'm having like a big top set, like then I will listen to like, you know, rage against the machine or something like that. But like, I guess handling that psychological arousal was, was really what stuck out to, to, to me is that in a meet setting, handling your levels of psychological arousal throughout it was something that just really made a big difference for you. Yeah. Th yeah, that it did. Um, Cause I would try to get hyped. Like I try to stay at a hype level throughout the entire meet. And that just wouldn't work for me. Cause I'd, I just burn out all my fuel. Um, I'd get super anxious and try and be like at extra at, at full arousal during the entire time. And <laughs> it just, it just burned me out. And then my deadlifts never at Nats, like I had done six, uh 20 or i think 620 in the gym and um like i i failed like 606 at nats and uh, no no weight cut <laughs> yeah uh, that just didn't make any sense um and what happened was two literally two days after the meet i pulled 633 just because that's just like i i had yeah. my i had my i had a full tank again yeah and it was, it was easy. So <laughs> one of my biggest, one of my biggest pieces of advice to people at a meet, especially if there's, if it's their, their first time is talk to other people, mm -hmm. ask questions, get to know people in, in your class, like because chances are, and like, you know, always try to find like those new lifters too, especially if it's your, your it's your new one and the experienced ones. And like just try to try to, to make friends. Like, even if you are like more on the introverted side, I found that does make people calm down all the time. Um, like what I did on my, on my, my last meet was like, I literally found the new lifters in my flight and I helped them understand, like, this is when you should probably warm up, like just work, just work, do, do this with me. We'll be fine. And, um, something else too, with, um, handling psychological arousal, because I know that USAPL meets are much shorter than USPA. Um, like you guys are usually done in like three hours. Yeah. High school nationals for me, it was like less than two and a half hours. Yeah. So that's, so US PA meets, if you're there, you're there from the morning until the night. And that's something that like with a lot of my, with a lot of my lifters do compete in the USPA. Just because that first, you know, generally lifters in certain federations attract the lifters in certain, you know, coaches in certain federations attract lifters in certain federations. Um, so like for myself, whenever I have an athlete who's doing like the full power meet, your US, you know, PA, I usually say like, look, so you're going to need to like bring a lot of food. And then like, don't just sit down all day because you're going to get tired. And by the time Della rolls around, you know, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, like I, I want to take a nap. Um, but something that I do is like, I walk around like in between my, my lifts because like, I remember at this last meet actually, um, I did my squat and I just, squats just fatigue me like nothing else. Um, and I was just like, holy crap. Like I, I sat down, I felt myself falling asleep and I was like, nope, like gotta get up, gotta, gotta walk around. I gotta talk to, to people because I'm, I'm extroverted too. So talking helps me feel more and more energized. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess my, my whole point in saying that is that whatever meet that you are doing, and this is another reason that you should have a good powerlifting coach. If it's your, if it's your first meet, it's so like, you know, how to handle it. What, you know, what, what expectations you, you should have, how you should probably, you know, select your, your meet attempts, especially on your first meets. Um, and then how to just handle yourself throughout the entire competition. You'll learn, you'll, you'll learn a lot because like, 
your first meeting is always just a learning experience. And the more that you do compete, the more you learn your body and how you respond to different variables like weight cutting. You know, that's not, that's something I've never done. So I've always been underweight. Um, I've always been a light 82.5. Um, but like also just like, you know, how much does my bench tend to tend to peak? Like, can I plan on more? Uh, how much a squat? How much more can I, can I plan on squat? Um, what about dead deadlift? Um, like for myself personally, and, and I've, and I don't know, Eric Helms talks about this, but I, I have not seen bench peaks like that are crazy. But usually I find it's about what you hit in the gym. Um, squat, it depends. Squat's the most, the most finicky, but for myself, I found deadlift always rely, like just reliably peaks, like about 5%. I, I found for, uh, for me personally, uh, squat peaks uh, a lot for me. Bench is uh, about the same. If I make a cut, it maybe loses five pounds. Uh, and deadlift is the exact same as I hit in the gym. Yeah. So again, like that's every, every, every lifter is a bit different. And that's again, for you guys that are listening, who are doing your first meet, pick conservative weights for your first meet. There's no shame in going nine for nine. Yeah. So. Um, you're talking about variables, like how weight cut affects you, et cetera. Right. Uh, something I've learned is that, uh, I need to take about five kilograms under a true RP 10 for squat so that I can function properly on deadlift. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So I need to take like an RP, like nine to nine and a half squat or else my deadlift tanks. So that makes sense because you guys, because you're like, you, you, you guys have, have less time. Um, I think that's actually something that I can, can get away with competing in the USPA because I have more time to, to recover in between those lifts. Like I have like six hours in between my squat and then my, my, my deadlift. Um, because I, I, I can definitely say like, if I had like, a, like one, like two hours between like, I would not, I probably would have as good of a deadlift. So it's, it's just interesting seeing how all of all those variables kind of um, can and do impact e e each other. So I guess, um, do you plan on still staying in the 83s for a while or are you planning on moving up to like 93 between the yeah, 93s or even 105s? <laughs> um, I will probably never go 105, but I think 93 and maybe two, two, two to two and a half years is what I'd estimate. Because how tall are you? Five, eight. Oh, dang. So you'll, you'll, you'll be a, you'll be a, a, a big, big 93 then. Yeah. I, Five eight's already like tall for eighty three, honestly. Because yeah, I always have to like remind myself that I'm like I'm six foot tall. I'm like I'm already feeling out like eighty two point five. Like, Man, I'm really you small. should definitely go one ninety eight. <laughs> I think I think you know, everybody, everybody's and all like that's that's a long term plan. Uh, eating eating's hard, Aiden. I guess so. In terms of of, of, of eating, then do you do you track your macros pretty consistently, or are you more or are you more just just like aware of like your general like calories and protein? Like how, how, um, how, I guess, strict are you? I track everything. Love it. I think that's something that more people need to, to do, um, empower the lifting too. Um, I work with, with TSA for the, the listeners and they make all their athletes track. Like, yeah. I, it, it's a, it's like a on and off switch. Yep. Getting... It, it's really not that hard. Like if you're serious about your sport, like, just get the food scale, like learn how to track. It takes you like, it, it, it takes us a little bit, a little bit of time, but that's what your coach is there to help you out with. Like, this is like, 
So I guess like in terms of like a full day of eating for Aiden, mm-hmm. like what was, what does an old day kind of look like? Yeah. Like, uh, I guess I'll just break it down in terms of carbs, fat, and protein. What are my main sources? Um, like <laughs> we'll start with carbs, basically like a, a ton of bagels, uh, bread, pasta, cereal, um, that that's literally like that's I, I get a ton of carbs. I get in uh over five hundred so a day. So that's it's pretty much over here. <laughs> what? Six fifty over here. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's it, it's it, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, I'd say those main main sources. Sometimes I'll have oatmeal. Um, I found that like oatmeal doesn't sit well when I lift those. So I cannot have it before I lift. Um, protein just meat, chicken, beef. Uh, turkey, lunch meat, um, whey, Greek yogurt, just stuff like that. And then fat, usually just like, I don't need anything for fat. It just ends up being what I need by the end of the day. You know? Cool. All right. So I guess um, to wrap things up, uh, what are your long-term goals in the sport? Like where do you want to want to be by the time, time that you leave the, the junior class? Uh definitely like hmm wow that's a, that's a i i i would say i want to go to worlds but i i i mean if usapl yeah. and ipf split then uh I, i'm hoping usapl makes some if they do split they make some kind of world equivalent mm-hmm. uh, i don't know the the uh the state of powerlifting is a little uncertain I guess in that department, but, um, in, ter- in terms of goals, um, the way I think about goals is a little bit more short-term, I guess. Um, I have a long-term goal and I have like a, like a, you know, intermediate goal. Intermediate is usually like from meet to meet long-term is like in a few years. And then short-term is just like block by block. Uh, and usually that's the way I think I just usually like I'll, I'll get a block or I'll, I'll, and I'll see generally what I have. I get programming week by week, not by month by month, but I'll get a block and I'll, I'll generally think of the, the course plan that I want to go. And I just, it's mainly the goals I, uh, that I set. Um, and then I'll, I'll set micro goals, just what I need to do on a daily basis. And I just need to make sure I keep meeting that over and over again, because as I see it, focusing on the the thing the, the inputs i'm making now will make the outputs of my longer term goals possible so that's mainly what i focus on but if i'm talking in terms of um like what i want to achieve i definitely want to want to win i mean i guess it's always been my dream to become a world champion so yeah i like how you said that i i mostly focus on the here and the and the now and doing the best i can right now um because sometimes it's really easy as lifters to think, oh, like, you know, I want to hit like these goals, like these numbers, like, like, like this is my dream goal. Um, but, you know, your whole mindset is something that I really vibe with, I guess, um, <laughs> because it's like, look, like, let's focus on doing our job right now. Let's get like the numbers that, you know, like, oh, like maybe I, I hit, you know, this for this top set and this training sites cycle. Um, okay, I want to do 10 pounds heavier than that on this training cycle or um, something like that. And I saw something else too that I think is, is, is interesting is 
um, with, with my, with my programming, some of the program I give my, my clients, I have some like prescribed loads. I'd say like it's not RPE based, it's percentage. And mm-hmm. I'm like, if you're outpacing the, this, this percentage, like that's a good thing, but like stick to the programming, like it's, it's a percentage for the, for that reason. But again, it's for that, you know, just focusing on doing things for, for like right now, focusing on the input. So then you get the outputs in the future, because as long as, as long as you're doing things right and you're on a good program and you're taking, taking attention to your variables, you're going to see, see results. And I think that, you know, you have all the, you know, basically what I got from you is I want to be the best. Like, that's what I want to do. And I'm going to do everything in my power to be the best of my sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just take, take care of, if I'm like, there's no other option. Um, if I'm going to be the best, I have to take care of these daily, weekly, monthly inputs. And it, it, just, it just has to be done. So that, that's my main goal is just constantly meeting those um, just so I can achieve some sort of perfection, you know, or close to it or, you know, mm-hmm. just chasing perfection, I guess. Well, I, I, I love it. I think that, you know, just judging from recent race, race of progress and whatnot, how you're consistently uh, improving, uh, you know, with, 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 you know, each post that you do put up, um, you're definitely going to be, be something like you really, you already are freaking a freak, um, but you're going to be even freakier. As you, as you keep focusing on those uh, inputs. So I guess I wanted to thank you so much for, for, for coming on and then chatting with me for an hour. Um, if people want to follow you, uh, where can they find you? Um, so uh, it, just Aiden Raider on Instagram, A-I-D-A-N-R-O-E-D-E-R. Just, that's my username. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that I occasionally post on just under the same name, Aiden Raider. Um, that's really it. Just, just, that's the two things I post on. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, guys, make sure to follow him. Watch that crispy sumo dead, deadlift technique that we that we talked about exclusively for like the first 10, 10 minutes. Um, and uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you on the next one.